Hey folks, how's it going? Ty here, Benchcore Media. I hope you're having an awesome week or weekend whenever you're watching this. Um, so as you know, here at Benchcore Media, we work really hard to provide as much thought-provoking content as we can through the lens of sports cards. Uh, sometimes that's maybe opinions you agree with, and sometimes it's not. Um, that's okay, right? The point here is to, to help you think, to be more strategic with what you're doing uh, with your sports cards or your memorabilia, whatever it may be. Today, I'm super uh, privileged to have on a guest uh, from a show from a YouTube channel that I've been watching uh, quite frequently, almost religiously, for uh, the past six to seven months. Uh, it's a show called The Economic Ninja. And if you if you type in that in YouTube, uh, you'll see just a, a ridiculous amount of videos that he's done. God, he's put in like he's put like 80 videos out in the last 30 days. He's putting like two or three out a day, just covering different topics, really short spurts, grabs a coffee, and just has a chat about important topics in the economy and how we should think about its application to our lives. And so I first off, go check him out, subscribe to his channel because uh, you'll get a lot of value from that. Even if it's differing from what you think, it's really good to understand how a guy like that who's been successful is processing what's going on. Um, so I had him on and I said, hey, look, I would love to have a conversation with you about alternative assets, specifically sports cards and what your viewpoint, what your... Um, what history tells us and your experience has been with having alternative assets in a portfolio or um, in, 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 as an investment strategy. And he reached back out in a few minutes, actually, and just said, hey, look, I would, I would love to do that with you. Um, and so we jumped on today. Come to find out, he's owned a sports card shop. He's had some incredible cards. In fact, he still has some incredible cards. He just sold his 52 Bowman. Um, he's desiring to buy a Jordan rookie. So it was just a very natural conversation, and I think you'll you'll love the conversation and walk away with some really good nuggets. Now, again, you'll probably hit us up and say we're super negative and we're talking about the the downfall, the crash of the of the sports card market. Look, I hope you walk away from this and think, thank you for giving us yet another opinion, someone who's really outside the hobby, uh, for us to think about how to be more strategic with the way we spend money because there's going to be plenty of opportunities, whether it's from a collecting side or an investing side in the sports car world. It's just a matter of how you view the economy and how that impacts the opportunities that do pop up inside the sports car world. So I think you'll, uh, I think you'll agree that it'll at least challenge the way you think about sports cars. Now be sure to like, and subscribe. We really try to put out this content. We would love to know what you think about it, put comments below, but, um, it does help us when you click like, and subscribe or like, dislike, whatever it may be, just uh, to keep the activity flowing so that we know, and YouTube knows that this content is worthwhile. Um, finally, go check out thedailyhobby.com. If you are new to sports cards or you're a veteran and you're looking for a way just to have a curated news source, go to thedailyhobby.com. Link is in the show notes. It is a, a no fluff, very straightforward. Here's the headlines in different categories in sports cards. I personally curate that to make sure you're getting news out there. Um, and I dig through and find all the headlines of the day and, uh, you don't have to dig around looking for stuff, NFTs, hobbies, sports card, investing, top news. You got it there. Nice mobile site, nice desktop site. Enjoy it. All right. Thank you for watching and enjoy this conversation with the economic ninja. The economic ninja. How you doing, man? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How's your, uh, how's your Sunday? You know, it's good. A little busy. Woke up a little late. Want to start working in the garage and uh, get to talk with you. This is my break, actually. So this is a good time. So you, okay. So you stepped out of a life to talk about sports cards. I'm impressed. Oh, yeah. I'm impressed. You well, did. sports cards are some people's lives, actually. Oh, we're going to get into that. You just hold hold on. Uh, right. So I, I have six kids in my fourth oldest. So she's six wanted to learn how to ride without training wheels this weekend. And okay. I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. And like, as I get older, I'm trying to like run with these kids as they, they ride their bikes. And I yeah. am absolutely pooped. I had to go shower before this because I was so sweaty from helping her run or ride her bike. Really? <laughs> Life, That's awesome. Baby. So she actually Life. has a bike with the training wheels on it that you could pop off, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, so for folks that don't know who you are, I mean, obviously go to YouTube and type in Economic Ninja. You're going to see the gazillion videos you have out there. I just wanted to tell you firsthand, man, like I, I started checking you out. I want to say you had like 11, 12,000 subscribers 
Okay. And I connected because you were obviously talking about economic topics that weren't exactly like mainstream media. You're getting a different, different tent. You have an awesome approach to just being consistently transparent, consistently authentic, which is really hard because the topics you're covering are not easy to talk about. So I just wanted to give you mad props, man. You've been super helpful for me. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, the channel started pretty much. It did my first handful of videos in August last year. And then um, I woke up uh, end of September, looked at my wife and I said, you know, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this as big as I can. I'm going to go for it. Because I needed a place to speak and warn people. I've been doing it for 10. Actually, uh, I did it. I started warning people in 06 when I was selling off all my real estate, saying the market was going to collapse, stock the housing market. And so yeah. it's been great for me to be able to connect with people like yourself. And I've had a ton of businesses and some of them were in collectibles. So I was actually pretty excited when you, you hit me up for an interview. That's awesome. Well, it's funny. My wife was like, so who are you interviewing today? And I said, you know that guy that I always watch videos of when I'm laying in bed at night? That's who I'm talking to today. She's like, ah, nice. The ninja. Uh, it's just so interesting how many people actually talk about, I know you didn't say this, but they, they go, you know, me and my spouse actually, you know, drink coffee and listen to you together. And it's just so humbling how fast this has grown, quite frankly. So yeah, I'm so humbled. So thank you. The price of being honest, right? You, you get, you get paid, you get paid in some bad dividends. Amen. So let, let's, Let's start with this, man. So let, let's start with kind of your overall viewpoint of, of the economy. I think that's important to view it through the lens that you're looking at this through. And then, and then we'll talk about collectibles and alternative assets. So maybe kind of paint the picture of where you think we are in the economy for those that haven't seen your videos. Yeah, awesome. So I, I love um, studying cycles, all kinds of different cycles. We all go through lifestyle cycles, economic cycles, um, and right now in the economy, we're hitting a cycle. This is the third one that I've been a part of that I actually knew was coming ahead of time. I sort of fell into the dot-com bubble and just realized that this isn't right. So I actually was able to move my retirement into the bond market and was uh, saved really because we lost half of our, the value of the stock market during the dot-com crash. And then in 2006, I started selling my real estate. I owned a real estate business. Uh, we were flipping homes. We were renting homes. Had a blast doing it. Uh, I started in 2001, but by 2006, I was screaming, run for the hills, we're going to have a crash. And it took about two years uh, for that to fully materialize, about two and a half years. And now we find ourselves in one of the greatest bubbles in history, actually, because it's a worldwide currency bubble. So the first one was a stock bubble. The next one was a real estate bubble. Now we have a currency bubble. And that affects a currency bubble affects everything you have, everything from collectibles to your home. And it's very interesting as we're starting to peak, I've been doing a lot of stories about uh, inflation. Uh, is it transitory? Is it not? We're talking about lumber prices, things like that. And uh, I'm able to hopefully shed a little bit of light that some things we shouldn't panic for and go buy up at high prices and we should wait for the prices to come down. Yet there are some things that you do want to buy ahead of time in a crisis like we're seeing right now. And so that's really what I think has been helping a lot of people. Gotcha. When do you feel like you started to have the strongest conviction about the market we were heading into? Do you feel like it was last year when we started printing money like crazy or do you feel like you saw it kind of ahead of time pre-COVID? Great question. So there's two answers. So first off, it was 2010. And the reason why I was so okay. long ago is because as much as I knew about the mortgage-backed security market, watching how that whole collapse uh, shook out and watching that the banks uh, that should have went broke actually got bigger that's when I woke up and went, oh, crap, what's going on? So I started researching the difference between fiat currency and mm -hmm. real money. OK, so I, and what's backing all that? So for literally, what, 11 years, I've been studying that portion. Now, I actually I did an interview with Robert Kiyosaki uh, last October. And in the interview, I, was, I actually started speaking about an event that happened in September of uh, 2019, and that was the interbank lending rate spiking to 10.5%. And a lot of people don't understand what it is, but it's very easily put. It's the rate of interest that one bank pays another bank to borrow money in the middle of the night when they found out, oh crap, we lend out, we lent out more money than we're allowed to because we are held by a reserve ratio. And what happens is it spiked to 10.5%. And that's when the collapse actually started happening. And uh, to give you some uh, idea of how big that is, uh, both the Lehman Brothers event in, in 2008 and then the 9-11 event in 2001 were 6% and 6.5% respectively. 
So to see 10.5% spike was insane. And uh, the Federal Reserve immediately opened up the repo facility, started lending money into the market to, to avoid a collapse. And then ironically, a few months later, something popped out and into this world and changed the path of our lives. I won't say forever, but for a handful of years. And, and so that was a big eye opener. And, and Robert's wife leaned over in the interview and she goes, you know, Ninja, what you're talking about, nobody understands. They just don't get it. And that was when it sort of light bulb popped into my head. I said, you know, I need to start trying to not dumb down the content, but really bring it into mm. a package that most people understand. And since I can't spell or pronounce words anyway, it just comes across great. <laughs> well, you and I share a very common thing. We, we love coffee because you always have a coffee in your hand and your, your notes are uh, about as simple as my notes. I love that you have the, the cardboard the size of your, your screen now. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so when, when you felt like you had conviction, what was, what was the first thing that you started to do with your money? It was vastly different than what kind of the rest of the world was doing. Yeah. So I learned how to use debt to make money. And I think debt is a great tool to make money, right? Use other people's money to make money. If you have a better idea than the person loaning out money and you can increase it, bring yourself profit and pay them interest, that's a good system, right? But I've also always believed in, in living not a minimalist lifestyle, but not getting into crazy debt personally. So I use debt in my businesses to increase my wealth. But then in my personal lifestyle, I didn't drive a fancy car. Um, I drove what I needed to to get the job done. And um, even if I could have back then, even I could have walked into any dealership and bought any car. And I have a funny uh, Ferrari story I've, I'm going to be doing a video about one day and uh but I lived that minimalist lifestyle, right? So when 2010 happened and I woke up to the realities of real money, I started to invest in, in real tangible assets like physical gold and silver. Um, I started to pay down certain types of debt and uh, and didn't. I just never looked back. Love it. Okay. Well, you cover all these topics on your channel, so we don't need to dig too much into that. But there, there's obviously a lot of nuggets that you've pulled out and a lot of advice that you've given on your channel. So go check that out. So let's shift a little bit to sports collectibles because that's that's why folks are going to be watching this. I can guarantee it. Um, I didn't even know this coming into the, the interview today that you used to own a sports card shop, which is awesome. And you have a little bit of background in sports cards. So, this is, so tell me about that real quick before we dive into this. Yeah, so I actually opened up uh, my first physical location business was a, a baseball card shop in my hometown, I was a junior in high school. And during my junior, senior summer, I actually opened up a baseball card shop in a, a section of a barber shop. So I actually had uh, three or four glass, um, uh, you know, display cases. I had my little cash yep. register set up yep. and I actually had a full storefront. And that was an, a very interesting time because if uh, many of you guys, I don't know how many people remember this little bit of history, but when the baseball uh, association decided to strike for more money, um, that was in 1994. It completely destroyed the, uh, the, uh, it, it was a negative stigma and it just destroyed the industry. And so, um, I, I didn't lose any money from that venture, but it really just put a little sting in me too. So, but I've always had sports cards. I was telling you, I just sold my 52 Bowman Mickey Mantle rookie. And, um, I did that for a strategic reason, because I think we're going to hit another cycle when it comes to collectibles. Interesting. What what was your favorite card that you own, or maybe the card that you still own that you're holding? Man, the favorite one was a 1968 Topps Mickey Mantle. It was in mint condition. Now this was prior to grading, okay? And uh, it was horrible because I I let a kid uh, trade me for a bunch of other stuff. We, it was a fair trade monetarily. I also really liked the 1985 Topps series, and because that was way before the internet, um, you know, you could only find and trade what was in front of you. You know, now, you know, when I first got married, I was an eBay seller and uh, selling collectibles and I could go anywhere in the world and get stuff. It was super simple, but um, I wanted all these 85 tops rookies. And so I traded the mandal away. And you know, what's really interesting about that is as he was driving away or riding his bike away, actually, I knew the grave mistake I'd made because I just traded. It was what, 1993, I think, or 92 when I did this. And I just gave up a piece of history and traded it yeah. for, yeah, some, some more pieces of history, but it was recent history. And there's so many, you know, so fewer 68 mantles out there than there were of the Roger Clemens, you know, Kirby Puckett, you know, 
Daryl Strawberry uh, cards. And and I, I, I to this day, it stings, to be honest with you. I'm surprised you haven't gone back out and purchased one just to uh, to throw into your closet. I, I've thought about it. Do you want to hear something funny? I've actually thought about it, and I haven't done it for a specific reason. Because I don't want to forget the sting. And it sounds funny. I'm going to mm-hmm. do a real weird trivia. There was a city in China that was destroyed by the British. I want to say it happened in the 16 or 1700s. And this city, uh, their, their silver, physical silver was stolen. And the people of China never rebuilt the city. They actually put a barricade around the entire city. And in the front, there's a plaque that states that we will never forget what they did to us. And it sounds funny that I haven't went out and gotten that card. Because I also, you know, there was a Pete Rose rookie that I gave up a while back. And it was when Pete Rose was going through his stuff. And I just sort of, you know, idolized him to a certain point. And now it doesn't bug me. But it's it's like I, I still remember that. And it sounds funny, but it drives me in other aspects to never give up that Mickey Mantle again. Love it. Already getting philosophical. 12 minutes in. <laughs> Sorry, man. True economic ninja form. <laughs> uh. I love it. I love it. Well, man, you, you are, it sounds like you already got a grasp on kind of what the sports car market's about. Obviously you own the shop. Have you stayed up with kind of what's happened the past three years? And just, I mean, it's, I guess not just sports cards. It's been a bubble and all kinds of alternative assets, but are you familiar with just the insane rise of sports cards the last two years? So I am. And, and there's a lot to say about that because there's a lot of money in the system right now. And there are a lot of uh, people right now that are gaining wealth in all kinds of different aspects, like realist, uh, older people like myself. Um, Cause you know, I am, I got like probably eight years on you. And uh, a lot of people that have come into recent wealth and they're purchasing the collectibles that they've always wanted or remembered wanting as a child. So there's a lot of really cheap money out in the system right now that's pushing into these asset classes. But just to give you an idea, this exact same thing happened in 2004 to 2006. Uh, We saw a massive move in collectibles um, because I still was selling electric trains every once in a while, go buy a garage sale, spend a hundred bucks on a train collection and sell it for, you know, two, 3000 bucks on online, you know, because quite frankly, I don't care how rich you are. If you can make two grand in an afternoon, you should go do it. And, um, and but then we saw the subsequent crash, the collapse of those collectibles, you know, and not in every collectible. But, yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing. It's going to make you laugh. In 1996, I think it was expansion packs started making a really big move. And, man, yeah. I can be honest with you. I'd look at a Beckett and my eyes would just bug out of my head. They'd start rolling back like a shark going for his prey because I, I, it just drove me nuts. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, this, you know, tops gold all of a sudden, this guy's worth more rather than it's like the expansion packs just drove me nuts to be honest with you. So yes, I do understand how much money's flowing into it right now. And I don't even want to look at it. I actually do have a current Beckett and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is insane. Insane. Well, shoot. I mean, Beckett even admits like their, their print, their printed price guides are are basically out of date the second they print them because of the way the market's moving so fast up and down, right? You know, you know, the eBay world's pretty, pretty fluid. Oh, yeah. Insane. Insane. Well, so let's talk about 2004 to 2006. I actually, funny you mentioned 94 and the strike and everything. Uh, I did a video a couple of weeks ago where I pulled up some Wall Street Journal articles from 1989 to 1992. And if, if you would have taken out the players' names and put in current players' names and, and they talk about the growth of the hobby, all these adults are flooding in. It's an alternative asset. They're all going to you know, triple their wealth. And then by 93, 94, it was, oops, we made a massive mistake. The market's collapsing. Tops is worth you know, a fraction of what they are now. What happened in 2004, 2006, and what can we take away from that, just kind of from high level? Well, shoot, you know, I got to actually, let's rewind two cycles because economic cycles happen every seven to 10 years normally. And then you have uh, larger cycles every 50 years and super cycles every hundred. You know, let's go back to 93, 94. There was actually a cycle, an economic cycle that uh, played out to where inflation was getting too hot. Uh, real estate was booming or new construction was booming. So uh, the Federal Reserve did some interesting things to cap that inflation. And they, they like in real estate, uh, any new construction loan, uh, there was uh, four points added to it. So if you needed a $400,000 loan, uh, you had to pay $16,000 in fees to go get that loan. Well, what happened is uh, not only the you have the scandals or the the bad press of the uh, the strikes going on mm-hmm. in the uh, baseball world, but then you also had a lot of that free capital that was flowing get stopped. And so now forwarding uh, up to uh, 2006, 
Um, that run was happening because people like myself were investing in real estate. Uh, stock market was coming back and we had a lot of extra cash. And we had something called the wealth effect. You know, it's one thing to, you know, be making, let's say paycheck to paycheck, just enough to pay your bills and, and, and scrape together a little bit of a living and some vacations. But when you watch your 401k uh, as you're, you're new in the career field and it goes from 10,000 to 150 to $250,000, you start to spend your paycheck to paycheck a little differently. And, and it is a real emotion that people go through. Well, in 2006, we were topping right then. The market, the housing market was starting to collapse. Um, uh, the Federal Reserve was coming out and warning people. They actually weren't warning people. They were giving them pep talks that, no, there's no problem at all. But what happened is con the spending contracted. We started seeing fuel going up nationwide. It was like a year-long event where it topped in a 2008, year and a half long. And expenses were getting uh, heavier and heavier. Food was getting more expensive. Rents were getting more expensive. So there was less and less money to put into the collectibles market. And remember, a collectible or anything on earth is only worth what someone is willing to pay. And since the invention of the internet, there's never been a time where you can leverage an asset like a collectible like you can today. I mean, I could literally put something on Facebook Marketplace and, and a thousand people in my neighborhood see it. I could go put it on eBay and I could sell it to the world. So somewhere I'm going to be able to leverage that asset. And that's what happened in 2006 because eBay was out there. Um, YouTube wasn't uh, out there yet. So you didn't have shows like yourself talking about the uh, fundamentals of the uh, of the actual business. Uh, but contraction, the spending contraction was happening. And I believe that's what we're actually witnessing right now. Now, so when we talk, so there's, there's two camps, I think, in the sports car world, world now, right? There's, there's obviously, there's collectors, and there's investors. That's, that's a given, and that's a very contentious topic in the hobby world, right? Darn wow. those investors come into our hobby and ruin it. But, <laughs> all right, and but we've had many videos you. on this. They're driving prices up. <laughs> well, for sure, right? But when you yeah. look at the inflation, I think, and, I, and I've texted with many people about this, and the, the general idea, and maybe it's an un, uneducated opinion, is that inflation is going to drive up the prices of sports cards. And, and my response to that is always, well, inflation makes everything more expensive and guys like the normal guy on the street, like me, who have to spend their money on gas and that's important money out of their paycheck or food, uh, you know, whatever it may be, they have less to spend, like less discretionary income. Help me understand the balance in that where inflation driving up prices it, but also discretionary income dropping. Yeah. So the, the, the very loose definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. All right. Uh, and I'll, I'll actually give you a really weird uh, example of this. There was a, a Kurdish, uh, I believe it was 2006, a study done by a professor in San Jose University of the Kurdish hyperinflation of 2006. And what he found was, and the CIA, CIA found it out the hard way, is when they were trying to fund, our government was trying to fund the Kurds uh, to deal with a couple different battles or wars in 2006, they were giving them money. Well, the only money they were shipping over were $100 bills. And what they found was that after a certain amount of time had went by, the CIA officers were finding that they were going into coffee shops and a coffee was $100. They're going, what, what are you talking about, 100 bucks? And that was all that they were being given was these hundred dollar us bills from these Kurdish people. And, and so literally it induced a hyperinflation in, in these small stores. And it sounds funny it's because that's all they had. Right. And so as money is printed into circulation and interest rates drop, there's this, you know, there's just more access to money, which drives up the price of, of let's say sports cards. But what's really interesting, there's always a time when it stops. And I'll give you an example that we've always, I'm sure you've heard of the tulip bulb mania, but not a lot of people know about the emu mania. And uh, it, first off, there's probably some people typing in what the heck is an emu, uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a large bird. But there was a time when people were putting tons of money into these large birds that I don't know if they even have any purpose. So guaranteed that someone's going to, there's going to be an emu uh, professional in, in the comment section pretty soon. Oh no, this is what they're for. But the point is they rose in value because of um, people thinking they're going to become rarer and rarer. And uh, so people were investing, speculating in it, right? And that's what's happening in sports cards right now. And you are going to see a top because what's going to happen is, yeah, you see those crazy headlines and some of them are not real too, where you see this uh, Michael Jordan, such and such uh, card sold for this insane amount. There is also some false advertising in that too, right? But there's a point when the common man goes, 
I ain't buying it. It's too expensive. It's literally like what we just saw. Oh, the $13 two by four from Home Depot, which I said, yeah. guys, don't worry. It's going to collapse. And now we're back down to $3. So um, that is, if, if that helps explain it, hopefully I explained it well. Yeah, I know that that's helpful. It's funny when you say emus, it, it takes me so that the sports car community evolves so fast now, right? You got the yeah. NFT world. Now you got sloth NFTs. I'm sure when someone heard emu, they're thinking, okay, is the economic ninja talking about emu NFTs? Is there an opportunity there? <laughs> hey, let me jump in there. So I've been in blockchain for, well, since late 2016. So I saw the 2017 ICO craze yeah. and I made a lot of money on it. I was really blessed to be a part of that. I, I went risky and it paid off. Um, and you know, I tell people, I know what it's like to see, you know, take $10,000 turn into a million bucks in a year. That's what happened in 2017. I also saw what it was like to see that million dollars go, you know, crashing down too. Now yeah. the NFT space is very, very interesting. And what's funny is it's a, it's a catch word right now. And I believe you're going to see NFT being associated with the ICO craze of 2017. And the reason why is because sure NFTs have a function and a purpose, which is great, but not all NFTs are going to make it. And what's happening is it's a catchword that's selling. It, it's 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 people are keying in on that, and they think almost anything's going to work. And you're literally seeing a craze similar to Emu right now. People are just investing in the the name, the word, and they don't understand the fungibility or use case of that. You know, an NFT in, in fine art. There's that's one thing. But I'm watching NFTs essentially. I'm, I'm seeing a sports card being split up to where you can invest in a sports card. Uh, and you could own a piece of it, but essentially you own a picture of it while a third party charges that fund to store it, light it, all that kind of stuff. And that's driving insane valuations in the sports card industry. Yeah. When, when you got to go pay $6 uh, a gallon for gas or your loaf of bread costs 10 bucks, you're not going to care about your crypto punk NFT. I can guarantee you that's that. Right. I agree. I, because it's going to go down in value because there's you're not the only one not caring anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so let's talk then for people that are, are pretty hard and fast about sports cards being a great alternative asset. Where, where do you place collectibles in a portfolio for someone? Is that, are you saying run for the fences or is there a place for sports cards, alternative assets in a portfolio? Well, cool. Let's use history as an example. I mean, how... If anybody, and I'd love to see your subscribers put this in the comments. If anyone was uh, during the Great Recession investing in, in cards, what did the values do? And it's it's sad because, uh, you know, I would love to tell you, hey, they went down because they did. I, I know that for sure. Um, because it, you saw more of them showing up in garage sales. You know, people sort of gave up because they, they didn't have that allure of every month. You're looking at the Beckett and you're seeing more down arrows than up arrows. And um and so I think that with everything, there's a cycle. There's a time to own it and a time to sell it. Now, the thing is, is that you're never going to hit the bottom and top. Only a fool thinks that he can, because I've never been successful at that. However, if you look at the broader cycles, you know, I kept a certain amount of my cards and I sold them all out um, when I was doing the real estate. And first off, it was because I had way too many. I mean, literally a baseball card shop worth still. Um, I needed to free up space. But then I kept the ones that I really enjoyed, that I really loved. And, and I love because of their rarity and the memories that came along with them. And I always knew that any day you sell something, if you hit it right, you could always buy it back. There's never anything in life that has always held its value unless like with real estate, how, you know, and food, it always goes up over the long term. You have to realize why it's going up. It's because of the destruction of the currency, the amount of currency they're printing. And so, yes, over the long term, things tend to always get more expensive. They never usually go down in price. But it's those tiny little fluctuations in time that if you catch them right, and we're talking large cycles, they could be multi-year cycles in the uh, collectibles industry, you can crush it, absolutely crush it. And to be honest with you, since considering we're probably moving into a hyperinflationary scenario, and I know a lot of people can't even wrap their minds around that worldwide, um, I don't think that, uh, I think it would be wise to start to look at your collections and go, why don't I, I move a little bit to cash? You know, that's not financial advice, but uh, it, is it getting a little hot? Is it getting overheated? You know, even Gary Vee's coming out now and talking about how these sports cards, NFTs, you know, he was super hot in the beginning and now he's going, you know, just so you know, they're, these aren't all going to work. You know, he's starting to see the writing yeah. on the wall. You know, so. 
Yeah. No, that that's a great perspective. That's a great perspective. Now you mentioned, and I don't want to, I want to say it was maybe six weeks ago, you had a live Q and a, and I threw a question out there just about your, your point of view on collectibles. And you mentioned something about velocity and how important it is to, to take into account velocity of, and I, and I want to think it was a really quick Q and a, so I, I think you were looking at it from the, the lens of get in, get out, right? Cause your experience in trains was, I'm going to go take advantage of this. I'm going to move out of it. I'm not going to, I'm not yeah. going to, you know, have an emotional attachment to this. How important is velocity when you, when you're in sports cars? Um, it remind me to tell you my Doug Flutie story. It's a funny story because with trains. Um, so velocity in, in everything is very important. It's vital when money velocity is happening or sports card velocity is happening, where you're seeing people trading things back and forth. You're seeing eBay sales that are are, are literally getting bid up in the first couple of days, and they're not. You know the the length of the auctions are getting shorter. That's a really big uh, tail, tall tale sign with eBay sales. You know your market is super hot when somebody can put on an auction for three days and have the confidence that they're going to get the price they want for that item. You see, when I was starting out in 2001, 2000, I was selling on eBay. And that's how I bought my first house, selling electric trains. I would put something on seven days because I couldn't tell the weekly cycle, you know, nationwide, you know, when people were going to be home looking at their computers, when they were going to be busy at work. Um, but when something got really hot, the market got really hot, people could throw things on for three days, two days, even like, a, I, I think I saw some 24 hour auctions and these things would sell super fast. Well, that's when velocity is at its extreme. And I quite frankly believe, especially because of NFTs and the additional advertising and awareness they've gotten, uh, you know, tying sports cards, the blockchain or all the different marketing things that uh, sports, the sports industry is doing right now with collectibles. Um, I think it's at a fever pitch. And I think, I think we're getting close. Now, when I say I think we're getting close to the top, I called the top of the real estate market three weeks ago and, of course, got a lot of hate for it. But I, I don't think people realize because in the comments they say, well, the house right down the street for me sold really quick. And I said, well, that's because yeah. in a 10 block radius, it's probably the only house for sale. I, I'm talking about a national thing right now that we're about to see. So it could take months and months for you to start seeing the uh, news. But ironically, and this is tying sports cards to real estate. The week after I put that video out, uh, which was what, second week, third week of July, um, you type in just the words real estate in Google, hit uh, news, and it was all doom and gloom from Forbes, CNBC, with the markets topped. Yeah, and so that actually happened after I put out that video. So when I say that I think we're hitting a top right now, it has nothing to do with the value and enjoyment of the collectibles industry. It has to do with the amount of money that people are about to put. At, and I said it, Lumber, people by August are going to care more about the food on their table and the cost of gas. And it is happening right now because of an expansion in our money supply. We're literally printing a trillion dollars a month. And I think people need to get their grasp on that because I believe fairly soon you're going to have, and this is when everything collapses, we'll be printing a trillion dollars a week. And so people need to realize what's going on behind the scenes. Crazy, 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 crazy. Uh, it's a perfect segue before we jump into some, some metrics. So we did a video, um, two months ago talking about the sports card collapse. We used the word collapse and it ruffled a bunch of feathers, but one of the main metrics we were measuring is the sell through rate on eBay. It's a, it's a, it's a metric you can pull up as a seller. And if you search for graded cards, so PSA 10 cards, the sell through rate in August of last year was like 65%. In other words, like 65% of the cards listed on eBay would Sold. sell mm -hmm. last month 22 percent of psa cards Ooh. across the site sold crazy go ahead okay, let Any me thought. let me jump in real quick because i actually did something similar to this a study when i was doing trains um i want you to also think people need to re remember it's not just that the market could be collapsing right but it's also when you get to a fever pitch in any collectibles market what happens is um, people start to get really brazen with their asking price. And we're seeing that with real estate right now. So what they'll do is a normal, let's say, I don't even know what an MJ rookie card is going for right now, but let's go uh, 89 upper deck, Ken Griffey Jr. I'm going to guess it's at 80 bucks. Do you know the price by any chance? Graded Carlos to say a thousand bucks. Graded PSA 10. Okay. See, I have no graded cards. Okay. So say a thousand bucks. So last year, let's say it was going for 800, but right now they're going, it's worth a thousand. People are saying a thousand, you know what? I'm going to throw it on for 1100 or 1200 bucks. And what's happening is you'll see a lot of those ads on eBay and you're going, what is this person smoking something? So you have to remember too, during the mania, 
you know, last year, let's say there was 10,000 listings for sports cards. I There was another metric where you could actually go find out um, how many were listed last year as opposed to how many were listed this year. And I would dare say, because I didn't, I haven't looked, that this year you're going to see a greater increase in the amount of collectibles, especially sports cards that are being listed on eBay. And that's what ha that also affects the sell-through rate, you, if, you, if that makes sense, because the people just ask it does. amounts. That it does. And, and I guess a, a tangent to that is the number of sellers, uh, which we noticed was up 400% year over year from 4,000 to 16,000, which is just you know an what? insane let, number, right? Let me speak to that too, actually. Not a lot of people realize that there are people that have an eBay account that actually have multiple eBay accounts. And what they do is they screw with these things, uh, a couple different reasons. They're either bad sellers and they get bad reviews, so they've already got another account to jump onto. And I, I say this is akin to the, I'm sure you're going to get a laugh at this, or if you know what I'm talking about. The furniture industry is famous for this, where you will see a furniture store go out of business and then literally another furniture store pops in the exact same place. Like, man, that was sort of convenient for the landlord. But then you go find out, you walk inside, you go, wait a minute, you're the same owner. And what you don't realize is what after a certain amount of time, uh, you know, there could be an owner of a, a furniture store. It's getting a bad rap. And there's always uh, or you've seen this same furniture store never close, but it always has a closing and going out of business sale. Nothing pissing me off more than that. Well, the same thing happens in eBay. You'll have guys that will just open up multiple accounts and have different ways of doing things. And I even know somebody that actually would list one item, three different ways, three different prices. And then if it sold one way, he'd take down the other two ads. But de depending on marketing, he might be able to sell it really super quick and do a short uh, auction and essentially feed on the FOMO effect, the you know fear of missing out effect. And he would be able to mark things up with, you know, amazing not thumbnails but back then it was just amazing lighting and video and all that stuff and it was crazy what he was able to sell as opposed to everybody else that just had a normal you know ebay account interesting well i hope people watching this don't get any crazy ideas don't be doing that uh, that <laughs> <Sorry>. is interesting <laughs> we just had pwcc who's yeah exactly PWCC, this is a big news last week. There's two big news items last week. PWCC, the largest seller of sports cars on eBay, got canned from eBay because of shill bidding. They were artificially inflating the prices. But then you also saw, you know, Tops lost his contract to Major League Baseball. So no more Tops cars. I don't know if you know you got that news. I did. I did hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. PWCC. Yeah. But we don't, They've been around for a long time, yeah. too. They have. They have. All right. So let, let's shift back to, for those, maybe not so much sports card specific, but... If someone is is really curious about kind of staying up with the transition, the evolution of the economy, what what market indicators are kind of the ones that you would recommend people to pay attention to? Obviously, watch your videos, but what indicators are most important to you? Wow, you know, man, that's a big question. See, a lot of people don't want to learn about economics because they think that it's too hard to learn about it. Like you need some degree. Mm. It sounds funny. I was actually working with someone the other day at uh, my day job, and I've got five businesses right now on top of a day job. And I have this YouTube channel and um, this one person's like, what makes you qualified to have a YouTube channel about economics? And I said, well, I don't even know how to answer that. Cause I was, I made a video about it. I'm like uh, pushing play and our pushing record. And, uh, and, and I said, well, what, and somebody in the conversation goes, well, what make, what would make him qualified? And he goes, a college degree. And everyone sort of sits there and he goes, Oh, a master's degree actually. I'm like, wow, okay. And I thought it just took experience. Now it sounds funny, but I'm, I'm tying in this into your question because a lot of people, they don't want to learn about it because they think it takes a degree, but it doesn't. All it takes is, is broadening your horizons, opening up a couple of amazing books. The first one for me was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's a real estate-based book, but it really got you thinking about the power of your own education and not what was you know forced upon you by society. And um, so the, the most vital metric, I believe, that we're, because I believe we're in a currency collapse worldwide and we're going to be getting a new currency, right? They're going to, there's actually, they got a bunch of different names. That's 10 other videos down the road, let's say, um, is what is happening to the amount of money being printed right now? Like I just told you, a trillion dollars a month over the last 12 months has been printed and they tell you a couple different ways. Uh, they'll say it's only a little bit over here, like 500 billion over here, but then you know, there's 200 billion over in this pile. Start adding it up. My thing is to start looking at how much money is being printed and understand that inflation is not just like some act of God. It's because a lot of people have money that they want to put somewhere. And once people start to realize that, just 
how money flows, like you brought up velocity. What happens when velocity slows or stops? That's the scary thing. And I believe you're about to see that in literally in the next three weeks be coming out in the news where the velocity of money is stopping in real estate. It's stopping in lumber. It's stopping in a bunch of different things, but it's picking up in food. And so uh, I think that's the most important thing is to start pick, looking at where the money comes from and where it's flowing. Gotcha. Is there a specific metric that measures that or... Is that something we just have to see kind of? You know, there is, and it's actually very interesting because they just, the powers of B just changed it. And it's called M1, M2, and M3 money supply. And you can Google M1, M2, or M3 money supply and start reading all kinds of amazing things about it. But uh, um, as of right now, because we are in a crisis that most people don't understand and they get upset. It's interesting, like you said, you use the word collapse and you just ticked off a bunch of people. Well, it's happening with me in real estate, a bunch of real estate agents like you're crazy, you're wrong. Rather than ask them, ask me what my background is or anything like that, they just want to tell me I'm wrong. They, they think they're talking to a real estate agent when, when they actually are talking to a guy that owned the real estate brokerages. You know, they have no clue. Even real estate agents that I worked with in my office had no idea that I also owned two brokerages. And um, because people don't ask questions and what you're doing is you're offending them because they're in their tiny little bubble. And they're like, I'm going to make a million dollars. And then someone like you comes along and goes, hey, you know, this thing is going to collapse. And, and they're just like, they don't know what to do. And they they <laughs> lash out in anger rather than ask questions. They're like, I'm not going to make a million dollars. And it's like, it, no, no, but it's okay. There's a, and that's what I try and do on my channel. I, like there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And before you say it's a train, it's not. Because there is hope. And the, the hope is understanding where you are in this cycle and then knowing, oh, I just need to, you know, the train's coming. I just need to step off the train tracks, let it run by me, and then get back on with my path. I love How's it. That for <laughs> That's beautiful. And, and I, I look, I, I spend some time in your comments and I see those people pop up and it's, it's fun. My response to the people about degrees would be, I, I got a, I got a bachelor's in economics and a master's in finance. And I've learned more from you in about six months. So take that. Are you for serious? Degrees. Are, are you oh, yeah. serious? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. honestly, I got to stop this. First off, thank you for saying that. And I have so many people with their economics degrees that are contacting me and, and I, and I'm, I'm not, I can't be more sincere. I, this has been such an amazing journey for me to be able to meet people like you, to be able to have real conversations, but it's not about like all the scary things it's about, yeah. and it sounds funny. I think you probably heard on some of my videos because people said, well, yeah, Ninja, it's, it's great that we know all this bad stuff's happening. How are we going to deal with it? And I said, we're going to buy everyone's stuff. And I'm not joking. I mean, like, <laughs> you want to talk about sports cards? Yeah. I'm going to buy in, in 2009, I was really into auto audio car audio. I found an audio store going out of business. And it was literally like the last day is pretty much I'm hauling this stuff off to the dump and I'm all, I'll buy all your inventory for a thousand bucks. And he sold all this brand new stuff. I had a garage full of audio stuff. That's about to happen in the next couple of years. You'll see it where um, big sports investors that invest in all this stuff are going to now perceive it as worthless and they're going to liquidate it because a lot of people are using debt in the sports card industry right now to buy up everything from cards to memorabilia, like actual pitchers, myths, things like that. And um, they're doing it for a financial gain. Well, if all of a sudden the market turns, they're the first ones to liquidate because it's a business decision. The, mm. There's a lot of people that probably listen to your thing that this is a, an emotional thing. This is a joy. You know, when I held my that Mickey Mantle Bowman rookie card for the first time, because I didn't want to spend the money on the tops. I mean, it was like, wow, I'm holding a piece of history. It's something I've always wanted was this card. And I don't care what it was worth. If it fell in value by 50%, it still made me smile when I looked at it and showed people. So there's two totally different segments of this. And, and I believe the investor side is going to get smashed and I will be there to pick it up because I want my Michael Jordan rookie. Uh, heck yeah. And you, you hit a really good point because I think that's what people realized 72 hours ago when tops lost its license to the ML to, to fanatics fanatics came out and said, Hey, we got the license from MLB. We're going to, you know, our run rate's going to be $6 billion in profit by 2045. And all these hobbyists and collectors are like, no stupid decision. Oh, wait, yeah. this is a business for them. This is a business for them. Of course it's a business. All these investors coming in, trying to flip cards. There's no emotional attachment and they're, they're you're exactly right. Right. When they, they got to buy more things for their family. Yeah. They're gone. 
Well, can you imagine? It sounds funny, but you know, right now I'm sure the execs at tops are freaking out right now, but everything's an opportunity. Sometimes the worst things in life end up being the best things for you. Can you imagine if top said, okay, we don't have that, uh, that license. Well, uh, why don't we start making, it sounds funny, hyperinflation cards. We'll start doing cards on the federal reserve and this, and we'll, it will, we'll literally like through, uh, cardboard cards with photos. We're going to, uh, historically capture what's going on in history right now. And there are so many people that are waking up to economics right now would be buying those things up, you know, Ben Bernanke saying, Hey, 2006, there's nothing wrong with the mortgage industry. It's okay. You know, or Jay Powell right now talking, you know, all limp wristed going, I, I, I hope this works. This may work. You're like, are you kidding me? So what I'm saying is that I'm joking, but it tops, you know, there's always another side, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the assets of tops because they actually have a, a heck of a hoard of actual really amazing collectibles themselves. And the question is, do their shareholders, because that's a decision now they've got to think about, do they liquidate those into the market? Uh, what's going to happen with all that? Are they going to try their hardest to get that contract back? And the thing is, there's a time limit to that. I mean, so what are they going to do? But it's not the end of the world for tops, but it's definitely going to affect going forward the pricing, I think, in those assets. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's funny you mentioned that. So the the cards that I had the highest profit margin on last year were cards that they printed uh, called Game Stunk. GameStop, you know, the whole GameStop mania, oh, they started printing cards for moments in history. I bought a bunch of those when they did it because they print on demand for a week and they move off. And I mean, yeah. I flipped the crazy out of the, those things because again, people want that piece in history. They won't care about yeah. it two years from now, right? But uh, two months ago, they cared. Yeah. Well, you they know, it sounds funny. I didn't know that story. So that's a prime example right now. And um, I always tell people to hashtag certain things in the videos to get, get, uh, yeah. Uh, reactions and boy, if people would like literally just hashtag tops in the comments, just boom, 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 boom. You never know. They might literally watch your video and go, that is a great idea. I mean, the world's economics uh, system is collapsing right now. What if we were to do a series and just literally look at the headlines because it sounds funny, but right now it's very easy to hide the facts because most people search a certain way on the internet. So it's actually easy to hide. Can you imagine if you literally had a, a, a baseball card, like Hey, Afghanistan was taken in a day. That's weird. And then, you know, another one said, I don't know how that's possible. It's like, it's here forever. And I'm going to get this thing graded. And you're never going to forget. You know, it's just really interesting. That is quite an idea. I think you and I are going to need some money for that idea from Tops. All right. I'll start working some connections. I think uh, Tops has some free times in their hands. So I think we can, we can figure that out. <laughs> there you go. I'm on it. I'm on it. Uh, good stuff. Okay. There's so much to digest. We're going to have tons of comments below. So let me shift real quick to YouTube. There's, there is a ridiculous amount of content creators in the sports card hobby. We don't have to dig too far into this, but you've gone from 10 to 88,000 subscribers in a very short amount of time. What is a couple key takeaways? What are a couple key takeaways that you've had from just your crazy growth in navigating the YouTube world? So uh, let me also, and this is going to get philosophical. So, you know, just bear with me here because this is uh, quite a life lesson for me. So I actually grew from, um, from uh, October, uh, October 1st, I'm pretty sure I had about 280 subscribers. Um, I crossed a thousand subscribers the first week of December and I'm just now hitting about 86,000. I was contacted by uh, YouTube and they actually came out and said, you're actually one of the fastest growing channels out there right now, but especially in finance. And it is, has been humbling, exciting, thrilling because I'm a goal setter, right? And I wanted to set a goal. My goal is to achieve 100,000 subscribers in one year. And a lot of people don't know this, but without the help of bots, subscribing bots and view bots and all that kind of stuff, I don't do any of that crap. YouTube can pick up on it um, pretty good, but they, you know, it's rough, but I didn't do any of that stuff because I, I just want to set a goal. I just wanted to get that plaque. It sounds funny, but it's because I need to achieve. We all need to achieve in our life. And I'll tell you, um, there, there are some mean people out there, just mean people. Now, you know, they probably aren't even dressed. They're still living at mom's house and they're our age. And uh, they probably still have a milk stain on their shirt. But uh, the facts are what really blows me away and what's sad is because a lot of people read the comments. And I have to. I, I'm from the Gary V school of thinking that you want to hear what your subscribers want to hear, what yeah. they need to hear. You know, they want it, they want that personal contact. It's extremely important because my goal is to become a motivational speaker and help. I want to help a million people 
make a million bucks, honestly. And that not by selling you some stupid investment that I get made money off of. It's one thing to have an affiliate link. It's another thing to prepackage some stock plan and, oh, here, buy it. And I get a cut of it. I, I think that's dirty. But what I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to lay off of it, is, is find a thing where you don't get cocky because I fall prey to that all the time, right? But also, and, and trying to help people, trying to keep being real with people and then navigate the dirt bags out there. Because the dirt bags hide in, in the uh, in the shadows, they lurk. You know, it's funny because the GameStop thing really was a movement, a, awakening uh, to a lot of people about what naked shorting was in the market, and it actually made a movement which spun off into Wall Street silver and all kinds of different investments. Yeah. And so the biggest takeaway I've learned is, and I'm trying so hard. I literally was just talking with my wife today about this: is not getting cocky, never forgetting how I started. And, and this can all end. The other thing is this can all end tomorrow, regardless of how successful you think you are or how great the investment you made today is. Going back to the ICO craze of 2017 and blockchain, I literally watched something that I bought for 30 cents go to $80. I did sell half of it and it went right back to 30 cents and it took about two years to get back to it. And so my point being is that nothing is forever to stay humble and to try and help as many people as I can. So to when you reached out to me uh, and, and asked about the way you asked, I didn't even know anything about who you were, your channel. I didn't even look at anything. I said, yep. Yeah. I'd love to do an interview. Why? It's because what is my time worth? You know, when I'm trying to help mm. others, I, for all I knew, you maybe had a hundred thousand subscribers, 10,000 subscribers or two. Uh, I just went on a channel with a 17 year old, uh, man that has been had a channel about economics for four years and it's it's been a struggle for him to get over 800 subscribers but he is a he's an amazing young man and i love going on his channel so hopefully that answered some questions but just staying real love it i figured you would go down that line of thought because you are obviously very real what's the, so th thank you for that thank you for taking this interview what other platforms have you have you delved into? Are you using social media outside of YouTube to help Twitter, Instagram, all that other jazz or no? Yeah, I am. And I'm doing it for a couple of different reasons because of, let's say, uh, the way that uh, the narrative needs to get, you know, com big companies want to sway your narrative. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Twitter's helped out a lot because of, I'm into cryptocurrency. I don't like talking about crypto because I don't want to sway the market. It might sound cocky, but I just, that's where I'm at. I've been in it for long enough. My company's invested in it. I, I don't like do all these, you know, picks and what's going to be good. To be honest with you, I've done a couple and I, they've fallen on their face and like, oh, I just, I stick to the big boys. Um, so I use Twitter for that. Um, I'm on all, I think I'm on like 12 different platforms right now. And as a matter of fact, I'm looking for the next big platform because I know there's a few platforms out there that are delving into, you know, blockchain tech to, to secure them to where a bunch of computers worldwide uh, keep them running the data so that nobody, no central point of authority can attack it, destroy it. Because just like uh, memorabilia, the reason why memorabilia is so expensive is because it's rare. Because, uh, you know, over years, it, you know, there's only so many tops, you know, Mickey Mantle rookies out there. And over time, they've been lost, put in the spokes of a bicycle. You know, we all, you know, dread to think that. But the facts are, if that didn't happen, the Mickey Mantle rookie card wouldn't be what it is today. It's one thing to say it's because Mickey Mantle was an awesome player. It's also something to say it's because of its rarity. And so with social media, and it sounds funny, I'm tying this into social media, uh, the ability to be able to store that data so it doesn't get wiped out, to be able to prove your point over time, um, or to be able to harness that information and knowledge, hopefully for generations uh, down the line that are about to come, I think is invaluable. So that's what I'm doing right now. Dig it. The fact that you just tied blockchain social media to a Mickey Mantle card. Impressive. <laughs> Impressive. Thank you, sir. I don't know if I did it well, but. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, we'll see in the comments, I guess. All right. So I always do something with my guests. I do a little something called rapid fire. It's just going to be a bunch of random questions for you. Answer fast as you can, but answer Crap. honestly. First thing that comes right. to mind. You'll have a little fun with this. All right. We'll start All with right. the first one. I'll actually show a visual. I'm going to show a visual for this. Okay. You awesome. got $16,000 to spend 500 oh. ounces of silver or a Bowman Chrome Tom Brady. What do you take? I'm going to answer the question. Can the Bro Bowman uh, Tom Brady uh, make a solar panel? No. Okay. I go with silver. <laughs> Sorry. 
Oh, I figured you'd say that. Uh, when you say silver, it's funny. Silver is a, is a pretty popular word in modern day cards. It's like the refractor in basketball and football cards. So I probably could type well, in hey, silver and economics in our headline. And people, yeah. When we talk about silver, because the price hasn't moved up, last year, rhodium went from about $300 to $500 an ounce to $30,000 an ounce, and nobody talks about it. So trust me, there's a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't realize in value, and that's why I involve, I'm involved in silver. So, okay, next question. Let's do this. Well, look, I'll just say this. I've spent more money on silver than sports cards because of you and, and because it's oh, smart, wow. and I'm, I'm not just you, right? Yeah. Everybody talks no. about precious metals uh, in some capacity. It just depends on, yeah. I guess, your availability of funds. Um, all right. What book has had the most profound impact on your life? Oh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, In a Heartbeat by Robert Kiyosaki. No hesitation. All right. Well, do you want me to keep talking why? Well, or are you going to the next question? Yeah, tell me why. Tell me why. Tell me why. Yeah, so, so he talks about the uh, difference between his real father, which was the uh, superintendent of all schools for the state of Hawaii, um, had a doctorate, I believe, or for sure an MBA, um, but I'm pretty sure a doctorate and uh, was in insanely intelligent, but he couldn't rub two dimes together and was poor. He was paycheck to paycheck, but his best friend's father uh, was a high school dropout and had a business and was he was one of the richest men in the state of Hawaii. So he would always go to him. And the whole book is about him going to his rich dad for advice and then watching how his poor dad, his real dad, insulted his other dad, because he was a capitalist, he was an evil capitalist and stuff. And, and I'm telling you, there's no better uh, wake up than that book. And to be able to meet Kiyosaki himself a couple different times, uh, it's just been super awesome. Huge fan of Kiyosaki, no, no doubt. Yeah. He, uh, he talks about people making projections in some of his podcasts. And he, he mentions how never buy into the idea of someone making projections, because most of the time when someone makes a projection of price, by the time yes. it gets to that point, someone's already forgotten. No one cares. No one holds them accountable. Anybody can say yeah. it's going to be a certain price. Yep, I agree. Cool. What other YouTuber would you be okay with house sitting for you guys for a weekend? <laughs> you know what? Just because I've met him in person, uh, David Morgan, the silver guru. I think he's one yeah, of the most humble. Kind, yeah, most humble. He's a matter of fact, um, I reached out to... So last year before I started a YouTube channel, I reached out to all kinds of people because I said if you watch my channel, it's just me with no notes going off the cuff, right? So I backtrack, I go off on a tangent. But if you get me talking to someone like yourself, I can answer a little bit more intelligently and, and clearly. Uh, David was the only person out of literally hundreds of people I contacted that contacted me back and spent time with me. And he was so kind. Uh, quite frankly, he inspired me through his knowledge for 10 years, but talking to him in person. And then I flew up to Washington, had a dinner with him. And uh, me and my wife went up and met him. Um, he had me over to his house. I mean, so genuine, so amazing. Uh, I can't say enough good things about him. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. In-N-Out Burger, Chipotle, or Chick-fil-A? Where are you going if you had a- Oh, my gosh. In-N-Out for taste, Chick-fil-A, because of their background, what they believe in. And I believe that is literally one of the most blessed companies. And let me stop you real quick. I read a three-part series on Chick-fil-A and why they're so successful. And there's these tiny, thin little books that comes in a little box. I think you could get it at Chick-fil-A. Amazing read. I think it's just incredible. So so in and out taste, Chick-fil-A for business model. Love it. Here's an interesting stat about Chick-fil-A. People don't know this. I was talking to a general manager. No food at Chick-fil-A sits there longer than six minutes. After six minutes, pulled, thrown in the trash wow. across the country. It it is amazingly fresh. And, it, and look at what the, the scandals they've been hit with. And then what happens is because of the way they reacted to it and, and how they did it with grace and honesty and being straightforward, um, it, the, the, it backfired in their face. You know, the people that wanted to attack them, it backfires in them because everybody that would have technically been a victim turns around and goes, what are you talking about? I love this place. Everyone's so happy and kind and Jizo. And I just, I absolutely love that organization. And they're going to crush uh, it. Absolutely. Jizo. There's the word Jizo. My favorite Jeez, new word. No. <laughs> All right. I, I pull up Spotify. What's the most listened to song in your Spotify? You know, I don't have Spotify, but honestly, it would be that sweet one with Phil Collins and the drum solo. <laughs> what is it? I'm not even going to sing it right now. I don't even remember the name of it, but I love that Phil Collins song. Or maybe a Barry Manilow song, you know? He writes the songs that make the whole world sing. <laughs> you don't even know how to answer. You don't even know. A I don't even Barry know Manilow how to respond song. to that. Yeah. Do you know? Can you name a single Barry Manilow song? I know I can't, it's one you're no. 
Copacabana. No, I can't. Oh. Okay. Okay. Awesome. You're not that much older than me either. It just shows how I'm not. I'm, I'm 45, so I'm not. All right. You're seven years older than me. So you, you yep. that's still not Barry Manilow era though. So it's not yeah. like that's that relevant what? for you. I love that Barry <laughs> Manilow. His, his hair is flowing. Okay. Two more questions. All right. What cartoon character would you spend a day with? They were real. Oh man. Maybe SpongeBob. I mean, it's, Oh gee, Mr. Krabs, what are you doing? Maybe him, maybe, maybe I could do who was the guy that was always um pinky in the brain? Oh gee, Brian, what are we going to do today? Maybe that guy, the same <laughs> thing we do every day. Yeah, <laughs> take over the world. Oh boy. Yeah, I don't I don't you know, apparently there's two guys. All right, cool. Two very intelligent cartoons. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I just want a crabby pad. <laughs> all right you got a thousand dollars to invest today what do you buy this is not investment advice no this isn't but this is what i would do honestly a third in cash to get ready for a deflationary collapse if it comes cash is king um to buy more sports cards with uh a third into a large cryptocurrency project like bitcoin ethereum i like digibyte and xrp and then the other third in precious metals because you need a stability and a measurement of wealth and that's what precious metals are Oh yeah. No Tom Brady's in there. No Tom Brady's. <laughs> I love it. Economic yeah. Ninja Man, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I, I appreciate your time. Everybody go check out everything in the show notes. I'll put all the links for you. But uh you're the man. Thanks. Thanks for man, giving us awesome. your Sunday. You're awesome. Crush it. Crush it. All right, man.